Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. In the governmental documents that it's a day of thanksgiving to the Lord God for the abundant harvest we have received. I just think that's beautiful. It's not even that old in Canada, only like two generations old, but it's like, we're going to take one day and just be grateful to God. Written in the government documents, I love it. Aren't you glad to be in Canada? Come on, are you glad to be here today? It's like, aren't you glad that it feels like we're still in an extended summer? Oh, it's beautiful. I love mornings like this because it's crisp and clear and a little bit cool, but you know that there's some warmth coming. Oh, so good. I'm I'm so grateful to see you guys today. I want to share something with you before we get into the Word. And uh, and honestly, just want to give a little shout out to... To Vivid Church. Shout out to the people who make uh, this place special. This morning, uh, amongst others, I had a friend here today who's been in Canada for about uh, five days. Uh, He moved from Tokyo, Japan earlier this week. Uh, We met through a mutual friend online, and uh, we went out for coffee this week, and he said he wanted to come to church today. And so I, I told him, I said, when you come to church, we don't do everything perfect, but one thing we do really well is friends. Like, you're going to meet people. You're going to make some, some great friends. So he was here today. He was, he was probably the first person or one of the first people here. Daniel, who was up here playing guitar, was like, man, I made a new friend. And, uh, and, and he met a bunch of people. He just sent me a text. He said, I was so very happy to be there today. Thanks a lot. I just think that's amazing. Why don't you give yourself a, a little hand clap? Come on. Oh, come on. Give yourself a little hand clap. You know, one of the things that, that is said to me all the time is Vancouver's a lonely place, but it's only as lonely as you're willing to make it and let it be. I think it's such a special thing when there's people around you who are going above and beyond to make sure that's not the case. So thank you today for being friendly and for, for opening up some space in your life. In fact, today, uh, when the, the service is done, we open up the coffee shop, we hang out, and there's time to get to know somebody. So please stay around. I'll do my best to be short if you, if you promise to stay and hang out. Sound good? You liked the short part the best, right? That was the part that sounded really good. We're starting a brand new series today, and uh, if you take notes, you could write this down on the top of your page. Next four weeks, we're going to look at this topic, I Feel Attacked. You ever felt attacked? Have you ever felt like somehow there's a plot against you? You don't know if it's, if it's man-made or spiritual, but you're like, man, the whole world seems to be against me. You say things like, that's just my luck. You say things like, well, of course it would happen to me. Because you feel like, man, everything that could go wrong is going wrong. Have you ever felt like you are the recipient of a targeted attack? It's like you are the target that a sniper is looking at. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe there's a person in your life who it's like, man, they know exactly where all your buttons are and exactly how to push them at exactly the wrong time, and you feel like you're under attack. Have you ever felt under attack, and you know that it's unintentional, but it still hurts? Have you ever felt that? Like you know it had, it had nothing to do with you, and yet you are still left with the shrapnel, the, the friendly fire? Have you ever felt attacked and you're like, I know it's unreasonable, but I still feel triggered? Anybody? 
Have you ever felt like, like you don't even know what the thing is, you just feel, ah, offense, it's taken over, frustration, agitation. This next four weeks, we want to talk about how to live free from offense, free from bitterness, and to move forward with, uh, without those prison bars of unforgiveness that hold us back. Can we do that together? Uh, I want to I preach a message today entitled, A Little Bitter Every Day. I didn't say it wrong. A little bitter every day. Let's pray together. Jesus, I ask that in these next few moments you'd use your word to speak to us. I pray, Lord, for freedom in this place from everything that could cause us to be bitter. In your name we pray, and if you believe it in your heart, would you say amen? Amen. amen. Hey, this week I had, uh, I had one of those moments where things are going from bad to worse. Have you ever been there? I had one of those moments where I was making mental adjustments as to what the worst case scenario was. Have you ever had that? You're like, worst case scenario would be this, and then it happens, you're like, okay, but the worst, worst scenario would be, have you ever had that? Or maybe the other way, where you're like, best case scenario, this will happen, and then that's definitely not happening, so you keep adjusting, and your best case scenario all of a sudden is a bad scenario. Have you been there? So, so this is not that bad, but I think it will communicate the emotion, okay? Earlier this week, I was at uh, one of my daughter's volleyball games, and I was in the stands, and uh, as is the case when you go to a lot of high school sporting events, you get to see the same parents at every event. And uh, sometimes you feel like you've tapped out all the possible conversation topics to have with that same parent. And yet uh, they still see you, so they still come sit with you, and then you still have the same old conversation, okay? So I was doing that great conversation. And uh, we, we were deep in, in, in talk, deep in conversation. The game ended, and, and I was like, okay, man, well, uh, you know you'll see me around, and I know I'm going to see you around. And, and I got up off the, the bleachers. We made our way home. And, the next morning I woke up and I was a little pressed for time, not, not going to be late, but a little pressed and, and I, I went, I'm at the door and I'm like, I can't find my wallet. Now where did I leave my, my wallet? In my mind I thought, ah, oh, this is the worst. I got to take my shoes off and go back upstairs because I left my wallet upstairs. It's like I set this bar, worst case scenario, I can't believe that I left my wallet upstairs. So I take my shoes off, I go upstairs, I look around, I go, wait a minute. I didn't leave my wallet here. And then I thought to myself, oh, this is the worst. I actually took off my shoes for no reason. I must have left my wallet in the car. And now I gotta go back downstairs and you know, the worst case scenario, just ratchet it up just a little. So I put my shoes back on, went outside, got in the car, looked around, I thought, wait a minute. My wallet's not in the car either. Now this is really the worst case scenario because I took my shoes off, I went upstairs, I put them back on, I came outside, it's not here. Oh. I must have left my wallet in my pants. They're in the washing machine right now because my wife is so diligent at doing laundry. I never have to wait for an item. And I, I, I went inside, took my shoes back off. I run downstairs, open up the washing machine. They're not in the washing machine. Uh, oh no, this is the actual worst. I left it at the coffee shop that I went to right before the volleyball game yesterday. And now I'm gonna have to drive out of my way after taking off my shoes, putting them back on, taking them off again, and now I might actually be a little bit late. So I phoned the coffee shop, and I go, oh, I think I left my wallet there. And they said, no, sir, we haven't seen a wallet. <sighs> and then I thought, oh, no, this is actually, actually the worst. Because I, if I lost my wallet, i got to redo all my cards. That's a pain. 
Have I lost my, I got some receipts in there. I'm not too diligent with submitting my receipts on time to my accountant. My accountant's not going to like this very much. And most importantly, I have a picture in my wallet that I have carried for probably about 23 years of Jennifer and I while dating in a photo booth, stealing a little kiss. It's the most prized possession in my wallet. Now, of course, we could re-duplicate the kiss, but it's not going to be the same. This is the actual worst. Now, it turns out I went to the school, went into the gym, found them on the bleachers. Crisis averted. But that feeling of mounting consequences and mounting annoyance and mounting frustration, I fear, is a feeling that we've grown all too accustomed to when it comes to offense in our life. The, 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 The little bit of bitterness that sits under the surface and actually just slowly over time gets a little bit worse. And what was at one point a totally unacceptable way of living between people is now just the normal that we've accepted. Like, oh man, it's going to be the worst if there's an awkwardness between us. But now there's more than awkwardness. There's offense. But it'll be the worst. You know what I'm saying? And it just keeps mounting and mounting. The Bible says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 9. It says, don't be quick in your spirit to become angry Because anger lodges in the heart of a fool. Come on, think about this one more time. Don't be quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Now, now what exactly does this mean? Because some of us would say, oh, I never blow up and shout things out loud. So I don't have an anger problem. Actually, this word anger, if you look in the Hebrew language, it means to be grieved, to experience sorrow, to be agitated, to be frustrated, to to have have anxiety. And what the Bible says is this, hey, it's going to happen where you will experience some of these feelings, but don't be quick to let them into your soul. If you have a quickness to let that type of emotion into your spirit, what happens is anger finds its home there and it sets up shop there and getting that thing to be evicted is hard. Anger has squatter's rights when it comes to the heart of a fool. I don't want to be a fool. I want to be careful about the emotions that I allow to affect my heart. Easier said than done. I get it. Let let, let me show you in the book of Hebrews. If you would, turn to the book of Hebrews real quick. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15. It talks about what happens when you don't address the emotions, specifically the angers that reside in our heart. It says this, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. You see, we're all going to experience some sorrow. We're all going to experience some offense. We're all going to experience some inadvertent triggering moments. We're all going to experience some griefs and some anxieties But if we're not careful and we don't address those things and deal with them, what happens is they live underneath the surface and over time they make their way back to the surface. Some years ago, like I think 14, 15 years ago now, Jennifer and I bought a house and the intention of this house was to fix it and flip it. It was a real popular thing on home channels back then, okay? Fix it, flip it, we're going to put some work in, some sweat equity, we're going to sell this thing, we're going to make some money. In order to do so, we're going to have to really address some of the immediate issues in this home. 
i.e., we're going to have to tear everything down to the studs and figure out what's wrong with this place. Why is the ceiling kind of swell? Oh, it's because it was built wrong. So we, we were doing a lot of work inside. We ripped everything up. We tore everything down. But the work wasn't only interior. It was also on the outside. This, this house had this enormous elm tree in the front yard. Now, that might sound beautiful and quaint, but this particular elm tree, far too big for me to fit my arms around, was, was big and it kind of towered over the house and it had a crack that had formed over years down the middle of the trunk of this tree. Now, on a clear, still day, it was okay because that, that crack would kind of hold, but if there was even a little bit of wind, the tree just started to move. And its movement was not in one direction or the other. It was in both at the same time. Like the, the crack would just kind of form and split. And if the wind picked up a little bit, it would form so much that if I, if I could time it just right, almost like skipping when you're in elementary school, I, I could probably get my arm right through that crack as the crack would open and close with the wind. We knew something must be done because given the right situation, this tree is going to fall on top of the house. The same would be true, clearly, of a person whose temper is always on the surface. Yesterday I was playing basketball, a little drop-in in uh, in our community, and there was this one guy, anger was just on the surface, frustrated at everyone. He talked a different language, so I don't know exactly what he was saying, but I know exactly what he was saying, you know what I mean? And partway through the game, he just walked away. He just walked off the court, he got his things, and he left the gym. And everyone's like, what? Oh, ah, uh." And then one guy said, oh yeah, I've known him for years. He's always like this. Well, why? Because he's got something at the surface, given the right conditions, it's just going gonna, gonna to fall down. Well, we weren't about to let our home be destroyed, and so we said, we've got to figure this thing out. Now, together, I make a dynamic duo with my dad. If no one's ever met Doug before, you've got to just get around him and know him. Because I am, I'm the, like, I'm going to just work harder. Smart, we'll figure it out, but I'm going to work harder. And, and, and my dad, Doug, he's a work smarter type of guy. He's like, if I could just have three pulleys and one cantilever, I can solve any problem. And so we, we, we were standing in the front yard, and I'm like, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just climb up this tree and start cutting things down with an ax. And he goes, yeah, but if we use that tree and this rope and we connect it to the, you know, the, the, the trailer hitch of our car, we could, we could work this thing down. So together, we made it happen. I was climbing up the tree with an ax, and he was tying a rope on it. We don't know who had the bigger influence, but what we do know is we landed this thing perfectly in between the street and the house. Oh, and it landed with a big thud. It felt like we should light a fire and dance around it. It felt like this very primal thing. We have conquered this tree. It will not destroy this house. And we cut it down all the way, I don't know, it was 70 or 80 feet tall, and it was down on the ground, and the stump was maybe six inches off the ground. And then the winter came, and we would look out the window and go, look at that. Not a single, not a single branch. There was a storms that winter. Nothing fell on the house. We did it until spring came, and the snow melted, and we found out we had 150 elm trees spread across our front yard. Why? Because there was still life in the root of that thing. And we realized now we have 150 small little issues to deal with. The same is true. This is what the the writer is speaking of when it comes to bitterness. We can address the outward issues, but if we don't get down underneath the surface and figure out what still resides under there, it will come back And it might not come back as big, but it will come back multiplied. The Bible says it won't only affect you, it's going to affect many. So we need to address bitterness in our heart. What's bitterness? It's it's poison. The the word in the Bible means poison water. It's it's the thing you're, you're sipping at 
that is slowly killing you. And you think, well, I don't blow up anymore. I'm not as outwardly angry as I used to be. I would never be the guy just to walk off a basketball court smuttering to myself. I've figured out this problem. But we need to go onto the surface and go, what, what bitterness resides here? Now, now, let me acknowledge this. Very likely, what has happened to you is unfair. Now, some of you honest people, you're going, nah, I kind of deserved some of it. Okay, you're good people. But listen, very likely, you have experienced some things that are unfair, that aren't right. Very likely, you have been the recipient of words that were not well thought out, maybe even just straight up evil. Very likely, you have found yourself in some toxic situations that have had a residual effect. And, and even though that's not your fault, it is your responsibility to address them. You know, sometimes we, we try to uh, avoid fault. We're like, well, I didn't, I didn't deserve this. But whether or not you deserved it doesn't determine whether or not you have to deal with it. It's in your front yard. It's underneath the surface of your life. On the flip side, sometimes we're quick to take blame for everything. Well, I guess I got what I deserved. That is not even a step closer to the, the solution. We need to address the, the, the things going on to the surface. Let me say this. Not every attack is created equal. And not every feeling is created equal. You say, I feel attacked. You might feel attacked over something far more legitimate than I feel attacked over. You might have very different feelings than I do. Not all attacks are created equal. Not all feelings are created equal. But the solution is the same. The solution is forgiveness. The solution to whatever the thing that has angered you is, is forgiveness. Simple, not easy. But that is the solution. Let, let me show you this uh, scripture out of the book of Ephesians. If you could go there, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is this incredible uh, reminder or this, this vivid imagery of how much our life has just changed. Th this passage of scripture says this, we all need to put off the old self, which is corrupted, and put on the new self, which is made to be like Christ in holiness. Think of this, God has designed for you a life that is holy like he is holy and it fits you perfectly. Like you put on that life, which seems foreign or odd or you know, we're unworthy, you're like, ooh, wow, I look good in this life. Holiness kind of suits me. It's tailor-made for you. It fits you. But the issue is we have to make a choice continually because the old nature is corrupted. The old nature is like when you spill milk in your car. You ever spilled milk in your car? And you can get it off the surface. You think, I think I got it all. That latte fell out of the cup holder, but I think I've addressed the issue until a few days later when you go, I didn't get it all. It, it means it's, it's corrupted, meaning it's, it's not just bad, it's getting worse. And nobody over something as simple as spilt milk, though we're told not to cry about it, we ought to deal with it, Nobody would say, here's what we need to do, guys. Just give it some time. Time's going to help. Just give it some time. We'll get over it. And yet, when it comes to bitterness under the surface of our life, one of the stupidest statements ever made is just, you know, just, I think you guys just need to give it time. Just give it some time. And it's going to get a little better every day. No, it won't. It'll get a little bitter every day. Like, time does not heal all wounds. 
Time that's, like, if the wound is dressed well, time will be part of the solution, but time in itself is not the solution. And so, so Paul says this, you have an old self that's corrupted. It's like spilt milk in your car. You gotta get the, the mats off the floor and figure that thing out. You got a new self that fits you that's holy, but you have to make the choice constantly, will I put on the new self? And then he, he begins to talk through scenarios. He goes, scenario one, if, if you have been stealing, you need to stop stealing right now and get a job. You can find it in the Bible. It says that. Just stop stealing and work. What's he speaking to? The desire to have things is not bad. If you are shortcutting the desire to have things by stealing, stop doing that. Instead of saying, I shouldn't desire things, no, no, no. Just work for the things that you desire. He says this, if you have been sexually immoral, you need to stop that. There shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality amongst us. Instead, seek purity. What's he speaking to? The desire for intimate relationship is not something that you need to turn off. You just need to stop shortcutting your desire for, for intimacy and need to, to play the long game of purity where your intimacy can actually be vulnerable and healthy and whole. Then he says this, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give the devil a foothold. What is he saying? He's saying your emotional reaction to things is not the issue. It's not the problem. But if you respond to that emotion you feel by, by burying it underneath the surface, oh, no, that's not going to work. You're giving the devil a foothold. You need to instead learn how to manage the emotions that you're feeling well, get free from them, and part of that is don't give it time. Time is the enemy of, of, of freedom when it comes to bitterness. Instead of just giving it time, it'll get a little better every day. No, it won't. You need to learn how to address. Now, here's not the solution. I need to stop being so sensitive. I need to stop feeling feelings. I, like God's never asking us to change the makeup of what it is to be human. It, 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 one, one translation says it this way. I think it's the King James Version. It says, be angry and sin not. In other words, the emotion's not wrong. Being offended, experiencing grief, having some sorrow, ha having your anxieties triggered, having painful memories, that, that's not wrong, that's human. But what you do with that is a determination. Am I living by the old self or the new self? Do I want to be corrupted? Let something live under the surface? Do I want to allow anger to lodge itself in my heart and therefore be a fool? Do I want to allow a root of bitterness to develop under the surface that will defile many? Do, do I want to live in an old self that is corrupted, or do I want to learn how to put on the new self? Well, the answer ought to be, I want to get free from this. I would love if every person in this room could walk in a new level of freedom. And one way that I know it would be true is if we could all address any bitternesses that live under the surface of our life. I've yet to meet anyone who doesn't have something under the surface in the area of offense, that doesn't have something under the surface in the area of hurt, that doesn't have some issue beneath the surface. You go, well, I've been pretty good at dealing with them. I'm sure you have. And yet today before we leave, we're going to take a moment and search our hearts. And I would venture to say each of us will go, mm, yeah, I guess that's a little something. There's a little something there. How, how do I address it? First of all, why should I address it? Well, let me tell you two reasons. Number one, 
We forgive because we've been the recipient of forgiveness. Like, like to forgive is to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to embrace forgiveness. There's no way to, to serve the Lord. There's no way to be uh, found in a relationship with God and think somehow we've earned it or deserved it. None of us stand before God and say, you're welcome, big guy. I got you. We all stand before God overwhelmed by gratitude going, this was undeserved. I didn't earn this thing. I, I had no way to get from where I am to where I'm gonna be. The Bible says not one of us is righteous, not even one. To illustrate this point, Jesus tells a powerful story. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Matthew, if you would. I will not put this up on the screen because I want you to find it in your own Bible. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. In this story, uh, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, when my brother or my sister offends me, how many times should I forgive them? And then he says, seven. What he's expecting is a slow clap from Jesus going, Wow, Peter, you are so incredible. Why? Because the rabbinic custom of the time, what was taught for spiritual people in that time, was that you should forgive three times. Kind of like a three strikes you're out policy. Like forgive once because, because you just need to. Forgive twice because you're not petty like that. Forgive a third time because you are a holy person, and then cut them off. And so Peter was like, but, but you, Jesus, you've made such a difference in my life. Man, I'm, I'm not like those other spiritual people. I'm going to double it up, make it six. Heck, make it seven. What he's expecting is that Jesus is going to be like, whoa, guys, you hear that? Peter's bringing the heat. And, and Jesus, you know, kindly, he's like, oh, no, 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 no. He goes, how about just make it 70 times seven? In other words, how about just forgive all of the times? In other words, lose count. He goes, Peter, that's not, not the way it, it works. Just lose track of it. Don't keep account of it. it the, the, the spiritually free way to live is to stop keeping track of how many times you needed to forgive. He goes, let me illustrate the point to you. There was a master who was, who was working through the debts that were owed to him, and he had a servant come before him who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. He said to the servant, you need to pay up or I'm sending you to prison. The servant fell on his knees and begged with him, please forgive me. I can't pay now, but I will one day. And the master said, actually, you know what? I'm going to respond to your desperation. Debt forgiven. We're good. No, no issues anymore. You owe zero. That same servant left that meeting. He found another servant who owed him 100 silver coins. Now, 100 silver coins is a lot, but it's not 10,000 bags of gold, okay? There's a difference here. There's a scale here. And he said to the, the person who owed him, you owe me, pay it up now, or I'm going to send you to jail. And the guy said, oh, please forgive me. I, I'll pay back, but I can't now. And he said, no, you owe it. You de I deserve it. Pay up. The master hears about this. He comes back to the first servant and says, you're evil, have you forgotten how much I've forgiven you? If you're not going to extend forgiveness to someone else, I take it back. I'm not going to forgive you in the way that I had. You can pay every penny if you're not going to let the forgiveness that you've received affect your heart. That's a gripping story, isn't it? That's spoken to Peter who's trying his hardest to be holy. Jesus, I'm going to really push hard seven times. And Jesus goes, no, 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 all of the times. If you know how forgiven you are, let it affect your, your life forever. Meaning, forgiveness 
is not an event, it's a lifestyle. Forgiveness is not something you, you psych yourself up into and hype yourself up for. Forgiveness is a lifestyle that Christians embrace. If you've been saved by Jesus, you are forgiven, and therefore, as a recipient of forgiveness, extend it, pass it on. Well, that, that's kind of that's simplified, isn't it? I, I think it is. It's pretty simplified, but it's not the only reason. The Bible also says that we will need future forgiveness. Not only have I already been a recipient of forgiveness, but I'm going to need more of it. Now, anyone close to my life could say a big amen. You know it. I'm going to let you down. I'm going to disappoint you. You want to be part of Vivid Church? I promise you as your pastor, I will disappoint you many times. But I'm going to do my best to not be judgmental because I'm going to need some grace. Here's what the Bible says. This is a spiritual principle at play. I would go so far as to say it's nearly a promise, certainly a principle. Look at this, Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, verse 37, says this. Luke chapter 6 and verse 37, is this helpful for someone? Awesome. It says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will it be poured into your lap? For with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Not only have I already received forgiveness, I'm going to need more of it. And when I position myself as judge and jury, I'm inviting every person in my life to do the same. And not only will they match me in my judgment, they will exceed me. And God's going to make sure of it. That it will be pressed down, shaken together, and running over. What I want when I need grace is to have invested a lot of grace in the people around me. So what is extended back is a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, poured into my lap. I forgive because I have been forgiven. I forgive because I know I'm going to need more of it. How about you? So, so right now, before we go any further, just take a moment, search your heart. We're not done. We'll do this again. But search your heart and, and ask yourself the question, do I have some offense in my life? Am I carrying an offense? He said, well, I'm not like blowing up. That's not even what the Bible uses to refer to it. It says anger. Don't be quick to let that anger lodge itself in your heart, which is sorrows, griefs, anxieties, agitations, moments where people have triggered you. Certainly straight frontal assaults would, would fall in there, but it's not all of it. And then let's try to answer this question. So who should we forgive then? Peter tries to, to ask the question, how much should I forgive Jesus goes on to answer the question, who all should you forgive? Number one, if you're taking notes, we need to forgive the ignorant offender. If you're taking notes, write it down. I need to forgive the ignorant offender. I need to forgive the person who didn't even know what they were doing. Don't, I never got their name. Don't even know if they remember me. And here I am two days later, frustrated that they cut me off in traffic. Guess what? They just didn't shoulder check. You've done it too. You know that person... They took credit for my work. They don't know how hard I was thinking of that creative thought. Now they get all the praise. They, they, they literally just forgot. They don't know. That person who said that thing that reminded me of my, my elementary school bully, they never met your bully. They don't know. They just don't know. The Bible says we can live in freedom when we forgive the ignorant offender. Jesus models this while on the cross, taking nails into his hands and speaking these words. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I'm like, Jesus, I think they kind of do. Like, they've trained for this. This is the Olympics of torture. They picked the nail. They're striking you with the hammer. He's like, yeah, but they don't get 
how big this is. So I'm just going to extend forgiveness. This has been for me the most liberating uh, act of forgiveness that I've ever encountered. Is when I stop living in the, in the turmoil and the bitterness of how could they? Didn't they know how this would affect me? And didn't they know the ramification? No, they didn't. So forgive them already. Like I have literally been alone in my own thinking trying to go, what were they thinking? Here's the answer, Justin. They were thinking nothing. They certainly weren't thinking about you. Forgive them. You've heard it said before that to live in unforgiveness is to drink poison expecting it to hurt someone else. And it never does. You're the one who gets hurt. You're the one who's in prison. You're the one who's shackled up in that old offense. The Bible says that, that we ought to be like Christ in this. Just forgive them. They didn't know what they were doing. The ignorant offender. Well, someone should tell them. No, let God deal with it. That's actually what the Bible says. It says repay uh, like, like pain with kindness. Repay abuse with forgiveness and leave it to the Lord. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It goes so far as to say this. When you're kind to them, you're heaping burning coals on their head. God's going to deal with it. I kind of like that. Even when I'm just a little bit nasty, I still have to forgive. We forgive the ignorant offender. Number two, we forgive the repentant offender. The person who repents should be forgiven. Now, if they never repent, it's because they were ignorant. You forgive them. If they do repent, it's because they came to a realization. And what do we do? Forgive them. Luke chapter 17, verse 3. If you have your Bible, turn there. Luke 17 and verse 3. Again, I'm not going to show you on screen because I want you to find it in your own Bible because you're going to need this one. It says, watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. The repentant offender needs forgiveness. Now, I find we're, we're, we're probably better at pointing out flaws than we are at letting them go. You ever been there? You're like, what you did was simply unacceptable. And oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Not so quick. I, I, have, I have friends, their, their uh, way of living as a couple is when they're in a fight, before they let it get anywhere, they race to see who can apologize first. It's like, oh, I just can't believe, I'm sorry. Yeah, but still, no, no, do, do you forgive me though? I want to get all this ugh, bile and bitterness out there. Yeah, but, but do you forgive me? Kind of takes a little bit of the wind out of their sails, doesn't it? We should forgive the repentant offender. Now it says two things here. We should point out offense, especially with someone who's close enough to be a brother or a sister, someone who's in our life, point out the flaw. Then when they acknowledge it, set them free. There's way too many of us. It's such a manipulative game. What you did really hurt me. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that. Well, it's no big deal. Well, it was a big enough deal to have this conversation. It's kind of something. No, it's whatever. Yeah, you're just like everyone else. Everyone does it. It's fine. Didn't bother me anyway. I don't, it, I, I, I'm not bothered, but other people might be. Come on. If somebody repents, forgive them. What, like, do we want to play judge and jury? Again, really, do we want it poured into our lap, pressed down, shaken together, and running over? Of course we don't. So we forgive the ignorant offender, which is often a person who's not even close enough to us that we would point it out. Like, imagine following the person who cut you off to explain. That was very inconsiderate. Like, just forgive them. They don't know what they were doing. Imagine trying to, like, search up on Facebook an old ex. I need closure from the, the things that you said, 12, just, just, ugh, just forgive them. You were 14, okay? Let it go. 
just let it go. <laughs> you hurt me. But then, then, then if someone's close enough that you bring it up and they are repentant, forgive them. Like, like it's, it's, two wrongs don't make a right here. They were wrong and then I pointed it out, but now I got the upper hand because they feel sorry and I'm not going to forgive them. That's so manipulative. It's, it's, it's like, it's cheating. It's dirty. Don't do it. Number three, we forgive the repeated offender. Okay, now it's getting real. Ignorant, we can overlook. Repentant, at least they played a part. I'll meet them in the middle. What about the repeated offender? The very next verse in Luke chapter 17 says, in fact, if your brother or sister sins against you seven times in a single day, and then seven times comes back saying, I repent, you must forgive them. This, this is an imperative. I, like Jesus often speaks in invitations. Not this time. It was an imperative. It's incumbent on you to forgive them. But they should have learned their lesson by now. Yes, yeah, so should you. But yet here we are. It's incumbent on us. We must forgive. Now, I want you to hear me very closely in this. Because some people, for reasons of bad theology, position themselves in ongoing toxic, abusive situations, thinking they're pleasing God by, by making themselves susceptible to the same repeated ignorances and abuses. What the Bible does say is continue to forgive. What it doesn't say is, you know, you carry on in the same manner. In fact, out of love for your brother or sister, out of love for that person close to you, one of the greatest things you could do is make a boundary. Say, hey, we keep having this conversation. I know it's hard for you, because you keep on saying sorry. It's hard for me because I keep on being hurt. I think we should make an adjustment on the way we interact so you don't keep doing the same thing that you feel sorrow for and I don't keep on living constantly hurt. How would we, just make, we, we tweak some things? Can we agree to that sort of way of living together? This is not a carte blanche excuse of oh, I just, you know, trying to please God and I just took the same. If you are being taken advantage of at work, oh, I guess my boss just doesn't know I'll just keep on forgiving. State it. Say it. If you have a desire to have a growing relationship, you need to communicate. But repeated offenders, the Bible says we must forgive them. Easier said than done? Probably. But we can do it, all right? With God, all things are possible. Fourthly, as the team returns. Fourthly. Lastly, real rubber meets the road moment here. The Bible also says we need to forgive unrepentant offenders. We're talking not just ignorant, but we follow these steps and we find them unrepentant. Look what it says in the book of, uh, of Luke. Sorry, in the book of Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. Matthew 18, 15. I'm going to read this to you. It says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they don't listen, take one or two others so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, then treat them as a pagan or as a tax collector. Here's the, the increasing conversation. When someone's hurt you, actually tell them they've hurt you with a desire to be reconciled. 
Best case scenario, you sit down with them, you say, hey, what you did hurt me, and they say, really, I, I honestly didn't know. Or I knew, oh, but I made a mistake. Would you forgive me? And then receiving forgiveness, you move forward. But if they say, well, hey, that's on you, you're weak, then find a few friends, the Bible says, bring them along, and say, can we just invite some accountability into this situation? This person's feeling this way, you're feeling that way. Can we, can we get on the same page with the heart and desire to come back into reconciliation? If that doesn't work, the Bible says bring authority into the situation. Now, this is speaking in church context, so bring a pastor along. If it's in a family context, include a parent. If it's in a work context, include a manager. Like Whatever context that is, find authority in that context and bring them. It would be weird if you invite me to your workplace to help you deal with a workplace issue. Well, the Bible says to bring the church, so this is my pastor, you know. And uh, you were late, and I had to work your overtime. we got to deal with this. Like, bring a manager into that one, okay? But bring authority into the situation. Now, here's what would be inappropriate. If the first thing you do is like, I'm telling mom. You know, try deal with it yourself first. That's it. I'm going to Pastor Justin. We're going to have a, like, try, try dealing with it first. In fact, that will be my first point of, of encouragement. It's like, well, have you talked about this? Because if not, it's out of place for me to show up. Have you tried as a community, as a friend group, to figure this thing out? The Bible says if you get that far and you still haven't found a, a commonality, then treat them like a pagan. You're like, whoa, now we're getting nasty. Not at all. The church is always intended to, to be kind and light to, to those who are outside, right? We're called to, to reflect the light of Jesus for all to see. So how do you treat a person? You go, we, we keep trying to get the same. I've brought authenticity. I've brought accountability. I've brought authority. We just can't get on the same page. You go, oh, it's because we believe different things. We don't share the same values. Oh, well, I know how to deal with that. I'm going to extend grace, love, kindness. We're just not, we're not speaking the same language. Well, what have I been doing trying to get on the same page? I don't need to be on the same page. I can love you even if you're a jerk. It's great. That's how we ought to treat even the unrepentant offender. Now, for some of us, one of these might be easier than the others. You're like, I, I'm really good at forgiving people when they repent. But if they don't repent, oh, it just sits under the surface forever. Some of us were like, oh, I'm, I'm actually really good with understanding we're just on different pages. I'm cool, but the ignorant offender, they should know better. But whatever it is, the Bible says it's our responsibility to address the bitterness under our life so we don't just get a little bitter every day. We can actually get better and better and grow more into the nature of Christ. In fact, in the book of Mark, it says this. I'm going to close with this today. It says, when you stand in prayer, so I'm going to invite you, would you stand in prayer? This is the book of Mark, chapter 11. It says, when you stand in prayer, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. So here we are, as a community, standing in prayer. We're about to sing a song of response before we hear a few announcements and drink a coffee and have some fun together. Here we are, standing in prayer, and the Bible says it's our job to search our hearts for two things, anything, anyone. If we hold anything against anyone, we forgive them so we can have open line of communication with the Lord. You might, as you stand in prayer, understand that there's an ignorant offender who's been hurting you. Forgive them. You might understand that there, oh, there's someone who has been trying to make amends and we're not letting them. I gotta let that thing go and forgive them. 
You might be holding bitterness against a repeated offender. Listen to me. Maybe it's just the repeated pain of the same offense and you keep replaying it in your mind and every time it hurts you. We need to have the courage to forgive. There might even be someone in your life who's hurt you in a profound way. You've done your best. The relationship is just not moving forward. The Bible says even in that case, we forgive them so that we can move forward. If we hold anything against anyone, across the room, close your eyes for a moment if you would. Let me ask you, is there anything against anyone in your heart? You say, well, it's not the, the, the enormous tree that it used to be. It used to be dominating, you know, in the fear of my future. Now it's just a, a, a root system. Anything against anyone. You go, well, yeah, but it's profound. Like, it's not a small thing. The Bible doesn't say only big things. It says anything and anyone. If we hold anything against anyone, we forgive them so we can experience the same kind of grace and mercy we need from the Lord. So if that's you today, I want to lead you in a simple prayer, okay? In fact, I think everyone in the room could pray a prayer just like this, and we can walk into some new levels of freedom. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, today I want to thank you for forgiveness. I know I didn't earn it. I know I don't deserve it, and I really know that I need it. So thank you for forgiving me. In that attitude, help me to forgive others. Those who are ignorant, those who have been repentant, those who have been offending me repeatedly, those who seem unwilling to repent, I want the freedom you have in store for me. Help me, God. Give me courage. Jesus, I pray for every person in this room. Give us courage to walk into new levels of forgiveness. Even as, as anyone's and anything's come to our mind, give us the courage to let those things go. Give us the recognition that to forgive is not to wink at sin. It's not to endorse it. It's not to give it a big thumbs up. It's actually just to leave it in your hands because you're the only one capable of handling this type of pain, the only one capable of handling this type of offense and doing it with hope in mind. So set us free, we pray, Lord. In this room, if, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, if you've never received forgiveness for your sins, then it would be an impossible thing to live a life of forgiveness. Unless we've been forgiven, it's just impossible. No one has the, the strength within them, the fortitude to do it. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, or you've rejected that relationship, walked your own way, and you know you need to come back to the Lord. He's waiting for you. He loves you ready to extend forgiveness. If that's you with no one looking around, eyes are closed, heads are bowed. If you say, I want to I make my life right with the Lord and repent, would you just raise your hand where you're at? I want to pray with you if that's you. Yeah, I see you. I see you. Anybody else? He said, that's me today. I want to make my life right with God. Guess what? In doing so, you're simply agreeing with Jesus. He extends forgiveness. We receive it. So we're going to pray this prayer. You, you, right where you are, you could repeat a simple prayer like this. Dear Jesus, today... I say you are Lord of my life, I repent of my sin, and I receive your mercy and your forgiveness. Thank you for loving me, thank you for choosing me, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Man, that's so good, that's so good. I, I think it's kind of easier on a Sunday afternoon to forgive than it's going to be on a Monday. We're going to need God to walk us through this day by day. Thank God there's more grace for us, amen? Amen. Why don't we sing this together in response before Jennifer comes with a few announcements. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church. 
or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.